We are going to continue in our series on the book of Ephesians, the gospel and life. We have a few more weeks here in this series as then we will begin a 90-year anniversary series. We, we're tentatively calling that the Foundations uh, um, series, but that will be six weeks of celebrating the 90-year anniversary of Northwest Baptist Church. Amen? Yes, um, in March, uh, late March of 90 years ago, this church was established, and God has been faithful to allow us to continue to spread his message, to share his truth with the world, and uh, we are going to continue to do that, and we will be celebrating those that, that for six weeks, as we'll do a series on each of those things, looking back at what God has done here and looking to the future of what he wants to do in and through his people. So it's exciting time to be here at Northwest, and um, it's just exciting to be a part of the body of Christ here. Now, uh, remember last week we began the transition from understanding who you are in Christ, the gospel part of this equation as the church, the people who've been saved by grace, and now the Spirit is at work calling God's people to be the church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which Christ has called his church to walk. This is the in-life portion of the gospel in life. Last week, if you recall, in, in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 4, we talked about the descension and the ascension part and to show the power of Christ as he descends from heaven to earth as low as a servant, but even lower to the point in which he dies on a cross the humility and death of the cross only to be resurrected from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the Father so that he can fill all things. Just as the triumphant king returning from battle gives gifts of the spoil, Jesus now has the authority to give gifts Spiritual gifts, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And this leads us to verse 11 this morning. This passage in which we're about to read is probably one of the most influential passages on my life. Why? Because it gives the purpose of God for leaders in the church. To equip God's people for the work of ministry, for service in the kingdom of God. And when the church functions as it should, all of a sudden Christ is put on display and the Spirit of God is empowering people to walk with God and one another all for the glory of God. This is a church that grows. So let's look at the passage together, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 11 as this beautiful passage unfolds to us. I could probably preach three sermons on this passage, and I will not. We will preach one, but there is so much to unpack 
here in the text of Scripture, God's Word to us this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen? You may be seated. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Father, as we look at this text this morning, Father, we're challenged again to be the church not because we have it all together, not because we are the greatest people on the earth. No, Lord, we are not. We are undeserving of that. But because, Father, you want to build your church. And Father, you give good gifts to men and women in the body of Christ. Father, help us to see the church as the bride of Christ. The beautiful picture of which Christ is making the church, the people of God, holy. Presenting her without blemish and splendor. Lord, we ask that we would understand your work, understand you more. Lord, give us the strength to do what you've called us to do, to be the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a little boy, I was uh, really uber competitive. Um, if, you, if you know me, I'm pretty competitive, but you should have seen me when I was a young man about my son's age. Um, in 1991, when I was five years old, I remember watching, uh, you may not remember this, but 1991, uh, watching Corey Williams, Oklahoma State guard, step on the line against the Temple Owls in the Sweet 16 and he made the shot, and I thought that we had won in advance, but in, in reality, they called it a two-point basket instead of a three-point basket. All I could do in that stadium, uh, my parents took me to East Rutherford, New Jersey, to watch that game, and all I could do was sob and weep as a five-year-old, my parents having to carry me out of the stadium there. My first basketball uh, game I played was in second grade. I got a technical foul and got kicked out of the game for arguing in a call. So 
you can, you can uh, tell me how uh, immature I was at that age. Then I can remember um, distinctly uh, something happening in my life uh, to go, man, maybe I need to grow up a little bit, right? I was... Uh, I was a 10-year-old boy playing in a Nike rookie tour in Portland, Oregon, playing tennis. And uh, I was pretty good playing these kids in a tennis tournament. Because of our age, we played one set to eight games. And um, I'm losing to a kid that, is, uh, that I'm better than. I know it. He knows it. And yet I'm losing 6-0 to a game to eight. And... Um, you can start me seeing I look like John McEnroe in which I'm throwing my racket down and I'm violently, oh, thank you for that laugh back there. I appreciate that. I am uh, violently convulsing my body and yelling and screaming. I look like a, a kid who uh, mom just told him, no, you cannot play in the snow, right? They, they get upset. And my grandmother uh, I'm, I'm representing my family and myself terribly, immature. And I, I can remember my grandmother who, who lived in Oklahoma at the time, so she came all the way to Portland, Oregon to watch me play tennis. She was a tennis uh, player herself and loved to watch tennis. And I'm down 6-0, 40 love for your non-tennis plans. I'm basically about to lose. And I see my grandmother get up in the stands She's, you know, in her 70s at this time. She begins to walk down towards the court. She'd seen enough. And she was about to pull me off the court. And I see this, and the other kid's mom, who I was playing against, stops her and says, my son's about to win. Just let it play out. Then you can deal with your grandson." And uh, I hear this exchange, and I think to myself, I'm in, I'm in real trouble here. So what do I do? I win the next point. And the next point. I end up taking the game to deuce. I win that game. Now it's 6-1. I'm fearing facing my grandmother, so I win another game. And another, and another, and I win the match, 8-6. to six. But there comes a time where the church, the people of God, must grow up. They must no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The church must grow up into maturity. They are to reflect Christ. Paul tells us clearly how this growth is to be done in the church. Spirit-empowered gospel proclaimers teaching or equipping God's people for service, for ministry. You know why I love this job as, as a pastor? Just like Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell when he was a runner, he says, I feel the pleasure of God when I run. When I preach, I feel his pleasure. God has uniquely equipped 
each and every person as part of the body of Christ with spiritual gifts so that God may be glorified by our response to the gospel as we love one another. As you, God's people, are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. This is what happens when the body of Christ builds itself up in love. This is what 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 10, 4, 10 through 11. We had a DNA um, membership class this morning. and This is what it says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the church where people are saved by the grace of God, and God gives them spiritual gifts to empower them to do the work of the ministry. This is the church in which God is glorified, not because we are good or we have all the skills and talents, but because he equips his saints for the work of the ministry. This is the church that grows. Different players at different positions, empowered by the Spirit of God to be a unified, effective force for the glory of God. This is God's church, and it's beautiful. Let's look at the passage this morning. Verse 4, 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, God's holy ones. Did you know you're holy? It's what it tells us in chapter 1. You're made holy by the blood of Christ. By his grace you have been saved. Equips the saints for the work, the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is our first point this morning. Spirit-led leaders. God gives these gifts to men and women who lead Spirit-led leaders equip the church for the work of ministry. It's interesting here that the gifts given by Christ are not merely spiritual gifts, but he describes them as persons themselves, given for the unity and the maturity of the church. You see, for these leaders, and he calls them apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, for these leaders to be effective, they must be yielded to the spirit of the living God. Let's start with the hard ones, apostles and prophets. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I need to clarify. Why don't we have these people in our church today. Why don't we say the Apostle Kyle or the Prophet Chris? Why do we say Pastor Kyle, Pastor Chris? But before we get to the word Apostle, notice 
back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul uses these two areas of leadership, the apostles and the prophets, as the foundation for the church with Christ being the cornerstone. Let me read it for you in 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What we said here back in this time was these two Offices or these two people groups lay the foundation of the word of God. They proclaim the truth. The apostles and the prophets proclaim the truth and they write these down as we see in the inspired word of God, the Bible. Apostle literally means one who is sent out. We know Christ called the 12 apostles who, whose qualifications are given to us in scripture They were chosen by Christ. These are the apostles of Christ. Chosen by Christ. Witnessed the resurrection. And their message was authenticated by signs and wonders. These are the qualifications. The apostles of Christ laid the foundation for the church. Revelation talks about their names are inscribed in in the new Jerusalem. And it ended when these 12 died. Now, there are others in Scripture who are called apostles, Barnabas, Titus, Silas, Timothy, Epaphroditus. As these were apostles, they were messengers of the church. They were apostles of the church, not apostles of Christ. There is a hesitancy today to call anyone an apostle because of the abuse of authority being named an apostle and the confusion that it brings. These 12 apostles of Christ were unique in the history of the church as they walked with the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. But the, but the concept of an apostle, someone who is sent out to strengthen and to build churches in all parts of the world is seen today. The Spirit empowers people to be sent out to plant churches and to be missionaries around the world. God raising up men and women to take the gospel to places where the church is not. But in the same way, we are all sent out into the world as ambassadors for Christ, right? That's why we, at the end of every service we say, you are sent. Prophets in the same way is a bit tricky. The Old Testament, these prophets spoke the revelation of the word of God to people. Prophecy is, is a spiritual gift mentioned in three other passages talking about spiritual gifts. The early church needed these prophets to get the word of God to the church. They didn't have the completed New Testament. They didn't have these writings of Paul. They didn't have these writings of the Gospels. So both the apostles and the prophets lay this foundation for the the church. When the New Testament was completed, there was no need for new revelation. Anyone listening to anyone who says that they are an apostle or a prophet saying that they have new revelation from the Lord is in danger of being deceived and following a false prophet. As 1 John 4, 1 says, there are many false prophets 
in the world. And how do we know that they're false? We test it against the word of God, right? This is our authority. If it doesn't line up, it's false. But in general, prophets are those who apply the word of God to God's people. 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us that prophecy is for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And this is what we hope to accomplish when we teach the word of God, applying the word of God into your life through the teaching of God's word. We hope the spirit of God gives people a knowledge and understanding of the word and that we encourage each other with that word. That's what the spirit does. So, the most plausible understanding of this text places the emphasis less on the positions that certain people hold in the church and more on the activities that the Spirit has given people to perform, to be sent out, to encourage people in the Word, in specific areas of their life, what they're going through, right? So, evangelists. Evangelists is simply someone who shares the gospel, the to those that do not know Christ. These people are in the church and they have a desire to see people saved and are gifted by God to see lost people come to knowledge of the saving grace. Dennis Christman is one of those guys. I I got a chance to be with him this week and everybody he talks to, he tells them about the gospel. And invites them to church. Maybe you're here because he invited you to church. He's an evangelist. He's using his gift. The next leader, shepherd or pastor. The term is used to describe someone who nurtures, who defends, protects, knows, or sacrifices for the flock. The shepherd or pastor. There are three terms used interchangeably in the, in the New Testament to describe these leaders, and they describe them as overseers, elders, or in the Greek, poimen, which is shepherd, or we would say pastor. The term overseer describes what this person does, he exercises oversight. Elders describe who they are, they're well respected. The shepherd describes the attitude and character of these individuals caring for the flock. First Peter puts them all together in one place, and you can see in 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now the last one, teachers. Teachers, some would say pastor and teacher here are a description of one office. A pastor-teacher, because they're united with a single definite article in the Greek, it would be a pastor-teacher. Others suggest that this is just an overlap, as all pastors teach. It's a qualification of being an elder in the church, is you teach. But some teachers are not pastors. Again, these distinctions are not the point of the passage, so, but I had to, to lay them out for you so you have an understanding of these leaders in God's church. 
Paul is not ascribing these offices to the church as he will in 1 Timothy as elders and deacons. He is merely mentioning gifted leaders in the church who equip the saints for the work of the ministry. All five of these leaders have something in common. They are gospel proclaimers, meaning their function is to declare the good news about Christ in different ways to a lost and dying world and to declare it and teach it in God's church. Notice all five of these people are not one person. At some point we lost in the shuffle and decided maybe the senior pastor should have all of the gifts. The evangelist, the church planter, applying the word of God into the lives of people, able to care for every member of the flock and also a gifted teacher of the word. And in fact, there was only one man who was gifted in that regard. His name is Jesus, the chief shepherd. It is in our sin nature to elevate one person as king, as we saw in the Old Testament. Yet God's design for his church is for Christ to be the chief shepherd, the head of the body. And he gives gifts of the Spirit to multiple qualified leaders to lead and equip God's church. In fact, the word pastor, right here, poimen in the Greek, is only used once in the Bible to describe an office in the church as pastor. All other times it refers to Christ as the chief shepherd. It becomes, again, clear there are multiple leaders who lead God's church under the head who is Christ. No doubt these leaders should reflect Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And what do these spirit-led leaders do? Verse 12 tells us they equip. The word equip is to make God's people fully adequate, fully able, fully qualified for ministry. And how do these leaders do that? They simply teach the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. That's what it says about the scriptures. So how do these leaders equip the saints? They teach the scriptures, the word of God. These gospel proclaimers equip people to know Christ, the power of his resurrection. Again, it's not the pastor doing all the work of the staff. It's biblically qualified leaders teaching and equipping the church for what? The work of the ministry. All of the church is working. You know, we've got lost in some ways. We say, oh, well, the staff will do that. No, no, we as a church will do that. 
being the church means that you and I are all working together as part of the ministry of Christ. The role of the leaders is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. Why do we all have a work of ministry? Because God has given us all spiritual gifts. All of us are given these gifts by Christ. Each is unique, and yet each is important. The word ministry here, equipping the saints, the ho- God's holy ones, for the work of ministry. The word ministry is the word diakonia. You would know that from diakonos or deacon. It means service. To serve Christ for the building up of the body. Let me read that to you again. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of service. For service to whom? Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the work of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered. Powered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul Tripp writes this in Instruments in the Redeemer's hands, his book. He says, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom and progressively changing them into his likeness and he wants you to be a part of it. That's the church, the people of God. How you function in the body of Christ is a good indicator of how you function in every area of your life. Equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. The goal for the body of Christ is to be built up. I I heard a testimony yesterday at one of our men's breakfasts, and if you haven't been, you should. It's amazing. We have men of God get up and share their testimony, their life story, what God has done in their life. And I'll have to admit, this testimony yesterday was flooring to me. It encouraged me. He said, Christ, he talked about the importance of the body of Christ. 
the church. And he said this, Christ returned to the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father. But when the body of Christ, the church, speaks truth into my life, it's almost like Christ is speaking to me directly. When the body of Christ gives me a hug or when someone comes alongside me, it's like the body of Christ is touching me and coming alongside of me. And he goes on to tell his story and hopefully he'll tell it to you as well. But his story is one that he found the body of Christ and he was not alone any longer. You got... Christ gives the church, the people of God, gifts so the church would be built up. It would be glorified through his people. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. This is our second point this morning. The church grows to be like Christ. It, it, I notice I didn't say the church should grow to be like Christ. This is, this is not, this is not a, a self-help book. God is accomplishing his will and his desires, the church grows to be like Christ. Make sense? We, we are in the growth business. The body of Christ is growing to look like Christ. If, if we as the body, if we as the leaders aren't helping you grow in Christ as a church, we're not doing our job. But get this, if you aren't a part or you aren't in the fellowship or you aren't in the community of the body, how can we help you grow? Hebrews says it best in Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Think about a baby for a minute. As Paul talks about this, that we might not longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Think about a baby for a minute. Some of you guys have had more babies than, than most, but um, some of you haven't, and that's okay. I haven't had a baby in a while, so I, it's, it's been a long time since I had to feed them, I had to take care of them, I had to change their diaper, you carry them around. You basically take care of them for a number of years until they can do something themselves. In the same way, baby Christians must grow up in the word of God. They must be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Think about a church that is full of babies. Think about a church full of baby Christians. 
that may not reflect Christ. This is, this is one of the reasons why a church must be a factory of disciples rather than a factory of just baby Christians, people who profess Christ. The church, the body of Christ, is designed for growth. Each part of the body functioning under the head who is Christ, serving one another for the glory of God. And what are the signs of, the uni- of, of growth? Well, he says, until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Unity, knowledge. These are signs that growth is happening, that the teaching of the word of God is transforming the lives of people. This growth happens through teaching of the word, obviously, but it also happens by suffering, producing steadfastness of faith. This also growth happens in community. As we're encouraging one another, we're spurring one another on, we're stirring up one another towards love and good deeds. Growth to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And where does this maturity or growth happen? It happens in the local body of Christ. I always cringe when I meet people. I I, I cringe in a bad way. I'm sad. When I meet people, and I meet people often because just about every day I'm inviting someone to come. Inviting someone to be a part of the body of Christ. And when I I meet people, I, I find this oftentimes in the city. This city, Oklahoma City. I'm still getting adjusted to it. The culture, the people, how it operates, what the people are like. But I find this answer many times when I invite people. They, they say, I'm really involved in this organization. Or, or I'm, I'm, I watch at home my preacher on television. Or I'm really good, my relationship is with Christ alone. Yet it is God's design to grow the believer in the body of Christ, the church. Why? Because it is in the church the spirit of the living God lives inside of his people. And empowering them to build one another up. You see, not only does the church need you, but you need the church. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I feel saddened when people tell me my relationship with God is doing just fine. Are you growing? Are you walking with the Lord? Because if you were, I, I guarantee you, you would be investing in someone else's life. And, and, it, and it pains me. Just it pains me deeply to think about this. It happens in the local church. Now, is the local church perfect? Is it fully mature? No, no. No, it's not. 
Many of us in this room have been hurt by the church. And yet God is growing all of us. Until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We must keep equipping. We must keep teaching. So what happens when it does go south? What happens when we have children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes? What does it say in verse 15? It says, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do we do when our community group isn't building itself up in love? What do we do when our leaders aren't equipping us for the work of the ministry? What do we do, church? We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is our last point this morning. Healthy churches are Christ-centered churches. Healthy churches are Christ-centered churches. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The head of the church, again, raises his ugly head. It is Christ, not me, not your pastors. The head of the church is Christ. If a leader isn't pointing you to Christ, they should be removed. The head of the church is Christ. And when they are equipping people in the gospel and in the word of God, which teaches us about Christ, the church grows. Not only numerically, but spiritually, in ways that we cannot see, in maturity, speaking the truth in love. You see, the Spirit is always glorifying Christ. And when Christ is the central focus of what we do, what we say, the gospel is on the forefront of our mind, guess what? The Spirit is at work in our hearts. We are allowing the Spirit of God to empower His people to do the work of a ministry. This is what the Spirit, Jesus says of the Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit, He says, He will glorify me. For what? For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So what do we do? We ask the Father for Christ to be glorified by the Spirit at work within us. Triune God. We ask the Father for Christ to be glorified by the Spirit at work within us. This is how the church operates. This is how it functions. This is how the body grows. This is how it is equipped. This is how every joint with which it is equipped works properly as it builds itself up in love. If you're not experiencing love in your community group, in your church, in your place of worship, something is wrong. We have to go back to the gospel. Go back to the truth of the word of God and what it says and teach it again. Teach it to your people. Teach it to your children. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I love, I love the church. Obviously, you know that. I'm doing my doctorate in it. I preach on it. This is my thing, right? The church. I love how God works in the church. I love how he orchestrates. I love how he designed it. I love how he creates I love how he surprises within the church. I love how he magnifies the giftings of the people. I love how he does things that we could never imagine or think or believe through God's people. Amen? I love as a pastor watching and going, looking back and going, man, I wondered, I wondered what God was doing there and this is what he was doing. And it brings joy as, as a pastor to be a part of Northwest. It brings joy to me to see men like Josh Wells get up and share his testimony. I didn't tell Josh what to say. The Spirit of the living God speaks through his people. My prayer is God raises up many godly leaders who will join together under the head who is Christ, who will equip God's people through the teaching of the word of God to serve one another, to grow one another up so that Christ may be glorified. If you're not a part of, of this local congregation, we welcome you to be a part of that. And one of the ways we do that is through our membership DNA class. We had one this morning where we go over these things, what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ. We ask you for your giftings. We ask you what places you would like to serve. And if you're not in genuine community with other believers in this room, meaning you don't have people who know your struggles and your hurts and your fears and your failures, I encourage you to be a part of a community group that builds itself up in love. This is a really important passage for us. It's important to understand that God wants to do a great and mighty work in this church. 
But it's also important for us to understand that he wants to do a great and mighty work in you, the individual, and to work together as the people of God to accomplish what he wants for his glory. May God be glorified at NWBC. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you that the word of God does not return void, that it is planted in the seed as a seed in the hearts of man. And as the parable says, some seed falls on the path in which it's quickly snatched up. Some seed falls on the rocky soil in which the pressures and the fears and the failures of this world scorch it. And some falls on the thorns which the desires of the world, all the pleasures that they have, choke it out. But Father, we pray that this morning the seed of the word of God, the power of his, your church will be in your people. That they would be know that they are chosen by God to do his work. To do the work of the ministry. Father, raise up mighty people that would multiply in the sowing of seed, that would multiply as the people of God. 